Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone and welcome to History in Technicolor with myself, David Crowther and... Me, Wolf O'Neill. There you go. Now, uh, I need to start. I was once advised never to apologise and never explain, which I think is bad advice. Anyway, I always do both. So, Wolf, I have an apology to make to you. Uh, Okay, what's it about? So, um, you know that fantastic movie which seems to be very poorly received by the listeners of History and Technicolor, despite the fact that it's a superb movie. Good vibrations. Uh-huh. Um, now, in that, I have been told that I was accusatory towards you. Wait, who said this? Who, Izzy Crowther. Oh, really? Wait, Izzy listens yeah. to our podcast? Uh- no. Oh. Um, I think it must have been a later conversation or something we had. Anyway, she said that I when I was talking about John Peel and when you didn't, you know, you hadn't heard John Peel, uh, that I was accusatory. Um, and what I, I was just merely surprised because John Peel played such an important part in my life and my generation's life. I had just a few moments getting used to the fact that John Peel wasn't central to everybody's life. So I'd like to formally apologise, Wolf, for your age. No, I formally apologise for uh, being accusatory. Um, Well, uh, thank you, David. You didn't need to apologise, but I accept it, and I hold on to it forever. Excellent. I'll do a certificate. Um, Just to be clear, though, I I had heard of him. I've just never heard his voice. Yes, you did say that. Or listen to anything that he's said or done. I just... I was aware of his yeah. influence. Indeed. So, uh, okay. So today we are going to discuss Wolf's movie, which is called 49th Parallel, 
and that means I will hand over to you. Thank you, David. Um, yes, as David said, the film is 49th Parallel, which is set during the early days of World War II and follows a small group of German soldiers trying to survive and escape from Canada after their U-boat is sunk in the Hudson Bay. At this time, the US had not entered the war, and the 49th parallel that divides the two, the two countries is the objective that these men need to get to and cross. And then throughout the story, this band of men come across a number of Canadian citizens that challenge their beliefs and values of Nazism. Uh, and the US title of the movie at the time was called The Invaders. Uh, David, you might be wondering why I selected this film. Why did you select this movie? Neil, it's been it's been worrying me actually. Um, well, now I can uh, take that worry away. Um, I <gasps> hope so. I chose this because I wanted to tackle uh, a propaganda movie. I thought that'd be interesting, and especially one that uh-huh. is an allied propaganda film, which I don't hear about as much or see as often. Um, and I thought it would be great to watch a Powell and Pressburger movie, since they're such um, a venerated couple of filmmakers. Is that right? I've never heard of him. I've heard of John Peel, but I haven't heard of Powell and Pressburger. But but do you really mean that? <laughs> Not really. It was an obscure and I thought extremely amusing joke. But well, I just had to check. Maybe not. Otherwise, I was about to go into. I was about to go and describe every single movie they'd ever made. Actually, to be honest, I know a good deal less about Powell and Pressburger than I think you know about John Peel. Should I start talking about John Peel now? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're just in terms of British filmmakers they sit right at the top of the most respected and uh, acclaimed filmmakers we've ever produced. Um, even though I think Pressburg right. is from Hungary. Even more than the directors of the Carry On movies. <sighs> well, it's it's a close call, so but <laughs> pretty pretty high up there. Right, okay, good. And I'm just generally fascinated by how uh, art influences people and how films and television are used as a form of propaganda, both subtly and overtly. Um, so the story around this film has been quite fascinating to uncover. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, I just thought I'd give a little bit of context before we give our reviews, because I think that's important to this film. So the British Ministry of Information approached Michael Powell about making a propaganda film to assist in the war effort. Powell recruited his regular partner, uh, Emmerich Pressburger, to write the screenplay. David Lean was brought in as the editor. And Freddie Young, who was the cinematographer later on David Lean's uh, Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago, um, was in as the cinematographer on this. And Pressburger was quoted as saying, Goebbels considered himself an expert on propaganda, but I thought I'd show him a thing or two. While Powell talked about how he wanted to use this opportunity to try and scare the Americans into joining the war. In addition to the Americans, the film was also aimed at the Canadians. I could be wrong about some of this. I've been trying to um, research my Canadian war history. Um, But generally, from what I can gather, the Canadians were not as interested in fighting in Europe, especially during the early part of the war. The government was reluctant to conscript forces due to previous anti-conscription riots in 1917 and 18. And even after the plebiscite in 42, which was particularly opposed by French Canadians, apparently. Uh, There was still a lot of anti-conscription sentiment, and a few smaller riots happened in Montreal. The historian Jack Granatstein noted that in both world wars, the Canadians um, were more likely to volunteer to fight if they identified strongly with the British Empire, as opposed to the ones that did not. Therefore, this film was also aimed at you know, recruiting the Canadians into the war, inspiring the French Canadians, and just rallying more people to the Allied cause. 
so you have uh, Laurence Olivier plays a French Canadian. You've got Inuits. You've got uh, various other indigenous peoples. It's a great opportunity for this kind of collective bringing together of everyone to fight the Nazis. Um, and it was shot in 1940, released in the UK in 41. And by the time it actually came out in America, they'd already joined the war. So it was pretty popular, but I guess we'll never know how inspirational it was since it came out a little bit too late. Hmm. Um, David, what did you think of the film? Um, I thought it was fun. I thought it was interesting. Um, I think uh, one of the questions was that you were asking me was, you know, is this a, is it a history movie? And I think quite strongly that uh, you've actually, it's a, an illegal pick for history and technicolor, which I was tricked into watching and I have accordingly contacted my lawyers okay expand on this why is but, it what's illegal what have i done <laughs> well i'm not sure it is a history movie you know it's mm-hmm. a contemporary movie done for a purpose having said that i think it's historically very interesting for the reasons that you've said here's a propaganda movie so i enjoyed it in the sense of thinking right well this is what this film was trying to do how effectively does it do it i don't think i'd say look jane it's a Saturday night and we're really wild on a Saturday night. So let's go and see this movie. Um, because, you know, I think probably should say, nah, I'm going to be doing my hair this evening. Um, yeah, which is understandable. So I thought about this a lot from a history perspective. And while I understand your point, which is why I've raised the question, is it actually a history movie? I wonder if it has enough time has passed that it has become um, a primary source of history itself so that we can view it under slightly different criteria, but it's still appropriate for this podcast. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, I was, I was joking about the lawyers, by the way. Um, I think you're <laughs> I think you're absolutely right that it is. It's very interesting as a historical record. Brilliant. No, I'm pleased. I'm good. I, I didn't want you to be uh, too mad. Um, I've forgiven you. But you enjoyed it? Um, on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, yeah. Or on a comparative scale? I mean, it was better than poking my myself in the eye with a blunt, blunt stick. Okay, so we're nearing um, 1 or 2 on the enjoyment scale. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was about 6. Okay. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. I didn't feel like turning it off. Um, I got to the end without thinking, oh, my God, how much longer is this podcast going to go on? It was great. It was good. But it was because I was interested in the the purpose for the movie uh, and as a historical document rather than uh, loving Laurence Olivier's um, artistic performance. Um, Had you ever seen this film before or heard about it? Never heard of it. Even less than John Peel. Mm, that's not very much at all. Um, no. Fascinating. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it until I was doing some research. but And I was surprised because it was a Powell and Pressburger movie. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was, it was more interesting, especially I watched it twice. And the second time around, it was a little bit more interesting for me. Don't know why, but it just was. I thought the cast was great. It was kind of a who's who of everyone from uh, that era. Leslie Howard, Laurence Olivier, Eric Portman, Adolph Walbrook, uh, Raymond Massey, Glynis Johns from Mary Poppins. Yes, I must admit the cast was great. 
the cast was, as you say, like a roll roll call of the greats. Uh, I loved the old footage of the planes and the subs. I enjoyed that a lot. I think one of the planes was a Churchill. That was nice. Um, right. The wonderful landscapes uh, from the Hudson Bay to Manitoba to Banff and Niagara Falls. I thought there was lots of tension, um, interesting ethical discussions and dilemmas. Uh, the acting was pretty good. Uh, I find, I don't know, maybe Leslie Howard was a bit too much for me in this film. Oh. And I don't know about you, but I definitely did a double take when he started spouting lots of uh, racist viewpoints about indigenous people while being a professor of indigenous studies. I thought it was quite bizarre uh, and somewhat unnecessary. And Actually, I kind of missed that one. The- that was Leslie Howard, was it? Because, yeah. of course, it was a famous bit with the Nazi. But yeah. what, did, what did Leslie say then? Um, there, was, there was that weird scene where he starts, he's talking about the Blackfeet people and how their barbaric ways of life mirrored those of the Nazis and how their speeches were like Hitler's. And then there was a section where he just... He said, I might study in um, Native Americans, but I'm not. And then he said, I can't remember, some disparaging comment about how uh, how educated he is in comparison and how uh, proper he is compared to them um, and how he can then have this, I don't know, he stands up better in the fight against these Nazis because he's not Native American, essentially. It was just, it was just a weird few moments that I... Yes, not good. And I watched it a couple of times because I couldn't believe it. Um at least to me now, it complicates the story a little bit more because yes. to me it's similar to the viewpoints the Nazis express at other points in the film. But I guess at this time, yeah. nobody would have seen it that way. No, it's fascinating, isn't it? That um, for a propaganda movie, it clearly has to do good and evil. And yet when we look at it, um, when we look back on it, it's even then it's not that quite that simple yeah from what leslie howard was saying yeah interesting um a couple of other notes i loved the section with the hutterites it might be my favorite section in the film the nazi revolt against his own unit uh, and his his denouncement of nazism was powerful and a rare moment of humanity in the enemy uh in this film which i wasn't sure we would get the, the standout moment of this film which was, inspires me to ask this next question is Laurence olivier's accent and his his acting choices as a French Canadian. So what I wanted to ask you, David, is what is the worst accent you've ever heard uh, in any film? That is it. That is actually surprisingly um, easy question, actually. And I may also link it to the worst singing I've ever heard in a movie. So Russell Crowe in Robin Hood, mm. literally all over the place. Also. Um, He's, uh, you know, he's singing in Les Mis, uh, which, of course, is the most turgid musical known to man. Uh, you know, it takes a lot to be worse at singing than Rex Harrison. But at least in My Fair Lady, they realised that and allowed him to speak his lines, which they didn't do with Russ. Mm. Great answer. Um, Controversial, obviously, especially about Les Mis. I've suffered, though, with Les Mis sales conferences forced to watch it several times until I wanted to eat my liver. During sales conferences? Yes, all you had to entertain the troops. 
And one year, though, my boss, who was a little bit intellectual, intellectual, persuaded me or forced me actually to take them to go and to see. Um, oh, what are those two? Gildens. Uh, Tom Stoppard play. A Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? Forced me to take them all to see Rosencrantz and Guildenstern uh, are dead by Tom Stoppard. And literally the entire sales team almost resigned en masse. So I didn't want to make that problem again. So we had to go and see Les Mis and things like that. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that film is terrible. Um <laughs> but I can't comment on the musical itself or the book. Right. Um, and if you were interested, I think maybe my answer to the worst accent ever is Sean Connery. And you could you could probably pick that for a variety of movies. It's only because he, is that only right? because he can't change it. Surely you surely some mistake. Well, his voice is obviously perfect, but it's the simple fact yeah. that he can't change his voice to suit any other voice. It's uh it reminds me of when they made Alexander and everyone was Irish because Colin Farrell couldn't change his accent. I must admit, I've never seen that movie. Is that one where we had it? He had um, golden highlights. Yes. Yeah. And so Anthony Hopkins is in it. So they use his. Um, actually, maybe he's just Welsh in that. Um, anyway, Val Kilmer's Irish. Um, Angelina Jolie's right. Irish. Everyone else has to put these Irish accents on to match um, young Colin Farrell. A travesty. Well, I should watch it. <laughs> we could. It's maybe, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Actually, maybe we should. Yes, history movie. Well, I'll briefly talk about the reception to the film now before I ask you any more questions. So, just to kind of give some background to this, the film was incredibly successful, especially in America. And at the time, uh, the British film industry was in a precarious situation, and this was the biggest British hit in America to date. It netted over five million at the box office and led to more films being made as well as leading to the creation of a number of independent production companies, which over time those would produce Henry V, in which we serve the Red Shoes, Oliver Twist, Black Narcissus, etc. And as a fun side fact, Peter Cushing was a prop maker on this film. And he, he? yeah, especially in the model ships department. But one time his landlady entered his apartment and found all these swastikas, called the police, and he was arrested and they had to try and explain what was happening. <laughs> I get. So, David, uh, onto the film. How did you find the film portrayed the Nazis and how did you find how did you find the experience of having them as the protagonists? Um it was I think that was all quite interesting actually and quite enjoyed it. Um it was quite obvious, you know. I felt I was being beaten around the head with a uh, with a cricket bat. Um, you know, the uh, the message was pretty clear. I thought it was. You mentioned the moment where one of the Germans kind of makes a bid for freedom and wants to 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 leave the group. And I thought that was quite important because otherwise it was just too black and white, you know, Nazis bad, everybody else good. I mean, that's probably the, the truth, as it were, but there was a lack of humanity which would have made it less convincing without that, I thought. So 
Yes, I didn't feel as much tension, actually. You said there was. I, I don't think I have at any point, maybe right at the end with the bit when he's almost crossing the Canadian border. It's a little bit there. Um, but I, it didn't really work as drama in, in, in a way for me. But, you know, I enjoyed it. It was, it was interesting. Interesting. I, I would generally agree with you on most of those points. Um, and I especially felt that way the first time around. On a rewatch, some things, I was looking for more things, having done a bit of research. So maybe that brought some stuff out. Mm. Um, I definitely originally thought that the Nazis were really two-dimensional kind of robot stormtroopers, with the exception of that one character. Mm. But on a rewatch, um, I do think it's possible to read a few more subtle complexities into some of them. So, for example, there's the scene where uh, Laurence Olivier asks the soldier, um, do they really duck walk and bow to the Fuhrer in Germany? And he's like, yes. And then when he asks him why, why do you do that? The soldier can't answer. He doesn't reply and he just is silent. Now, you can interpret it that he just is professional and isn't going to answer. Or maybe it's this moment where he actually isn't sure of how he feels about this. Mm. And then obviously you have um, Vogel sides with the Hutterites. He refuses to heil Hitler. He also gives the rosary to Laurence Olivier um, on his death. And then there's a fascinating bit that I was reading quite a bit about where straight after he does that, he has this like identity crisis and he rushes over to the wall and begins scrawling a swastika um, on the wall as like a brash act of party faith. You can see the kind of dilemma right. happening inside of him and the two acts don't mesh and he has to kind of respond quite violently afterwards uh you know a precursor to what's coming later mm. but then there was also um the pilot i think he was also a lieutenant when he plays the chess game he has a discussion with the the really really evil nazi lieutenant where he discusses how he himself is not an idealist like the other man is. And that actually he signed up to the war a few years ahead of this guy. Um, but this other guy is the one who preaches harder. So what I was getting is that every single one of them is slightly different in their views and they have different relations kind of to their own country and Nazism in general. They weren't all um, just carbon copies of each other is, is the point I was trying to make. So I suppose there's an echo in there. Is there not of uh, Das Boot, um, where the Nazi officer is rather outcast by the others who are good, solid, honest men of the soil, just fighting for the army and for Germany rather than Nazism? Is that was there an echo of that? Yeah, I think so. Um... Yeah, in this speech, the other guy says, um, I'm a, a man who understands humanity. I'm a man who understands people. I understand planes and machinery and technology. Um, and these are all the things that I'm interested in. And we have, and so for example, he's like, in the, because of the action, he says, we have to play this chess game. It's the smart thing to do. Um, whereas this other guy is so ideological, he's kind of unwilling to ever see things clearly or empathize with others or understand the wider situation. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's a little bit like Das Boot. Um, but um, I don't want to give it too much credit because the point of the movie is to stereotype them mm. and make the audience afraid of them. So I think it has to be kind of small subtleties rather than um, 
kind of bigger yeah. character development. Uh, fascinatingly, I read that when the film was released uh, in America, it had to be re-edited uh, to remove a number of scenes. Right. Now, some of these are, are minor scenes, but uh, the big one that is removed is the one where Lieutenant Hearth, I think it is, describes the Nazis' perception of indigenous people, black people, and Jews. Right. It's uh, obviously a horrible speech, but it completely conveys what the filmmakers wanted to do about what the Nazi ideology is. However, the American producers were worried that if this speech stayed in the film, it could um, put off the Southern segregationists and the anti-Semitics in America. And they didn't want to show them that they had the same racist values as the Nazis. So they had that whole scene cut out of the movie um, so that they could preach to as many people as possible uh, without alienating any. Right. And I I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. That is quite that is quite shocking also because that scene is so fundamental to the what the movie is trying to do. You know, that is where the film says, look, this lot are bad and uh, you know, we're all good. So it would have I would have thought it would have reduced its effectiveness. Yes, and I think it's obviously restored now, but I do think from some early uh, it was obviously still popular, but from some early discussions about the film, the narrative of the film didn't even make that much sense. Mm-hmm. And there were some scenes missing where the audience would watching and they'd be wondering, like they cut out the scene where he like describes he's going to go to Vancouver. And so they're watching the, the Germans go one way. And then the next minute they're heading south to Niagara Falls or something. And nobody knows why. So they did remove a bunch of stuff. And I, I don't know, it didn't work as well, but it was still seemingly popular. Mm-hmm. So maybe we've already covered this, but did you think the message of the film was clear and effectively delivered? As in, was it effective propaganda? As a bell, in terms of clarity, uh, was it effective? I think it's quite difficult because I view the film through uh, 21st century eyes. And I find that very difficult. I'm not as filmy as you. I don't have your knowledge of films and expertise in it and therefore i looked at i saw an old movie and judged it according accordingly as it were so although i understood the clarity was very good the effectiveness in terms of oh i'm engaged by this movie and good lord aren't they aren't these people terrible and yes we must fight them well there's too much as too much water has passed under the bridge for me really to evaluate that i think yeah i think that's fair and to be honest the answer i have is it's speculation as a result as well because how can i truly know um i think it's fair to make the assumption that because it was the most successful British film by that date to arrive in America, that it probably was um, exactly what the people wanted. And it probably was fairly inspiring. I also can imagine how the violence in the movie is more shocking at the time. A lot of people get killed by the Nazis. And it's a lot of innocent civilians, a lot of unarmed people being mowed down. And their ideology is horrifying. So I can see how that works. 
And I don't think it's necessarily as effective now, but I can see how all the story beats are there. I can see how they're designed as propaganda, if that makes sense. I can see the thought process behind every decision and the corresponding reaction that is expected from the audience, um, especially in the ending. I was a bit torn um, when the Americans send him back into Canada and refuse to take him to the uh, the embassy. Mm. Um, I, I was a bit torn about that. And I did read that one of the screenwriters said they shouldn't do that. Why is that? Uh, but press, well, because he thought it was the wrong, the morally the wrong decision to do and that you should uphold the, the law essentially. And since the country is neutral, he should go to the embassy. The Americans um, uh, in Niagara Falls who make the decision against the rules to stand up to the Nazis and give this guy what for is the kind of last act of the movie. And it's there to inspire the people in the cinema to do the same mm. thing. Um, even if the country hasn't necessarily caught up to them, that they can still start doing things themselves. And it ends with obviously um, Massey beating him up as well. N not the most effective ending for me, but I can see how at the time, you know, audiences in the cinema would be, would be cheering. Um, yeah, it all kind of works. Yeah. And one of the things that I was reading is that, um, especially with the Leslie Howard character, it doesn't work for me now, especially when he's kind of like marching towards the Nazi firing his gun. And it's a bit too British stiff upper lip for me. But can there I be, was reading that... Can there be too much British <laughs> stiff upper lip? I mean, there's an existential... <laughs> Question there. Well, how stiff can an upper lip how be? How stiff can an upper lip be? Yeah, it's a bit like if a if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one around yes. to hear it, does it make a sound? How stiff can yes. an upper lip be? Good point. Well, maybe um, we should consider that at a, a separate time. We should. Uh, we could do a whole episode we on could? it. We could. Well, we could do it with the carry-on movies as historical records, like Carry On Up the Kyber, that sort of thing. Is it weird that that was the first carry-on film that I was going to say as soon as you mentioned that? I was like, it's the, most, the first one that comes into my mind. It's the most popular one, isn't it? Now, having Tiffin, you know, I mean, it's just... Sorry, it's a tremendous movie. I, weirdly, before our next episode, I think I read that Ken Loach worked on a few of the carry-on movies <laughs> right at the start of his career. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe he thought of the line, Dan, Dan... The toilet man, I'll meet you at your convenience. Which is um, yeah, maybe, a classic maybe joke. Do you think he's got a sense of humour, Ken? Um, anyway. Yeah, no, I think he does. Right. Um, but that's a different topic. That is, um, as you say, a different topic. Back to the stiff apple. The, the point I was trying to make about uh, Leslie Howard is that he, in the movie, he plays this British um, professor who is essentially evading the war. He kind of represents everything that you would imagine the British to represent, especially the, the middle and upper classes. Um, and he's kind of staying out of it. But in this confrontation with the Nazis, he becomes so inspired that he's going to take action into his own hands. He's going to stand up and he's going to toughen up. And with his, this kind of this true grit, he's going to, he's going to take out the Nazis and it's a tiny little scene, but it's to make a, a bigger representation of the country on the whole. Mm. Um, and I'd heard that in Canada and America, they have this kind of perception of Britain 
that and this movie was trying to uh adjust that perception a little bit and show them that we were we were tough and gritty and we were getting stuck in and we were going to fight to the bitter end and that they needed to come and join us um be inspiring and i guess that scene is meant to be inspiring he's like i've got no weapon and i'm going to walk up fists clenched and i'm going to punch this nazi out um and because he's so tough and intimidating the nazi uh and the nazi is shown as a coward he can never hit the moving target um even though he's the one with the weapon so what so so what was the, imp- go the ahead. impression of uh the canadians of the british what well, were just soft effeminate tiffin loving um aesthetes because you know personally as speaking as a tiffin loving aesthete you know i'd obviously find that quite accurate yeah i don't know i mean i i would imagine it's just a stereotype and probably a stereotype that still exists now it's just a general preconception about uh britain and i i don't know it in detail i just read that it was a consideration that the filmmakers had and they, they were aware of an image that other people might have of them and they wanted to adjust that image. So I think the casting of Leslie Howard is very uh, specific right. and his role is very specific, which is the same reason why Laurence Olivier, his, cause everyone's role has to be different because they each have to convey uh, a specific thing, a specific aspect of the story. And Larry Olivier has to play the French Canadian who wants to identify as Canadian rather than French. That role is there to inspire more Canadians, specifically the French Canadians, rather than him kind of having this European connection. He wants to focus on his Canadian heritage. Mm. So it's an inspiring moment and the audience is meant to get up and be like, yeah, I'm Canadian too. Get out of my country. Um, Obviously, it seems obvious and maybe a bit tired now. and It's definitely not as effective. I definitely wasn't whooping and cheering at kind of at any point during the film, except like I said, the Hutterite scene mm. when the Germans who'd fled Germany and settled in Canada, um, get up and make their speech to the Nazis who've just tried to, um, radicalize them. Mm. I thought that was a very powerful scene that was done really, really well. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, David, do you think that the film works for a modern audience or is it always in this time capsule i personally think it's that you would need to have an interest in the topic specifically in order to really go and enjoy this movie which i know is not the thing to say on a podcast about inspiring people to watch films it's fascinating if you want to see it as a history source as a an entertainment we're in the modern world. I'm not sure it works that well. Yeah. I mean, I, I would generally agree. Uh, I enjoyed it. It, it passed the time. I, I didn't really have a, a bad word to say about it, but it definitely wasn't as enjoyable as a lot of other films from this time period yeah. for me, because the story is all to serve this greater purpose. It's not master and commander. It's, it's definitely not. <laughs> Is this when should we sing a, a sea shanty again? Yes, let's do that. Of course, the rest of the world has caught up with sea shanties now, Wolf. You know, obviously we set the tone. That chap in Scotland saw us, and the rest is uh, is TikTok history. But we'll never get any credit. Never. <laughs> okay, so on to accuracy. Obviously, I think we have to recognise that almost everything that happens in this film, the story-wise and everything, is fictional. Um, 
because it isn't a history movie in the typical sense that we've been talking about. Um, though it does show us the past, so we can view it as a historical document. Um, the impact of the war is very real, and you feel it in every aspect of the film. Yes, I think that's certainly true. You definitely get the feeling we're making this film because it really matters and something needs to happen as a result of this and we are in trouble. Yes. Um, And most of the actors at the time took huge pay cuts to be in the movie. Um, And I haven't said it yet either, but most of the cast, they're quite multinational um, and that's deliberate as well to show the like unifying process of all of these countries coming together for the greater good Mm. um, because that's going to inspire more unification of these other nations. The Hutterite scene was very accurate from what I can tell. Uh, It was filmed within the actual community with the assistance and permission of the Hutterites. Um, Then when the Nazis give their speech to the community, the actors in that room were half made up of refugees that had fled from Hitler. So Obviously, all what we're seeing is lots of actors and assistants on the film, the filmmakers themselves. Um, they're all going through the war, uh, different experiences, and it, it's their real-life experiences that kind of seep out into the film. Fascinatingly, the original actress who was playing the character of Anna, um, which I think is now Glynis Johns, uh, was forced off the film when she offended the Hutterite people by smoking and painting her nails in front of them. And then afterwards, she refused to return to Britain and uh, because she was an ex-German national and she feared for her life. So she remained in Canada or America. Um, And I think it's this, it's these little details behind the scene that add something to the wider picture. Mm. The actual actors are traveling across the Atlantic to flee the threat of Nazism. And while in the process of making this film. Yeah. Um, and I, I just find these little details uh, interesting, yeah. like the one about Peter Cushing being arrested because the, the swastika was so impactful yeah. at that time. Everyone was afraid. Mm. find that uh, fascinating. And I think it's been uh, a really interesting experience to watch this film. Yeah. But yeah, the accuracy is, uh, I guess, from the way we would normally rate it, is very low. Mm. David, uh, how would you rate the film? Um Oh, different. I mean, we come back to the the two hats thing. Well, no, as a film trying to do what it's trying to do, I would have said it's pretty good. You know, it's uh, as a propaganda movie, it's clear. Uh, it manages to get a bit of, of nuance. It's varied. You know, the people in it are varied, and I think you've described very, very clearly uh, the complexity of the thinking that went behind it. So let's call it a seven for the for its purpose. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I was, uh, if you were to agree. grade me quality of a good night out, I'd, it would be lower. But as a tool, yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, and that's factoring in the the change that's happened since the film came out, and you would have responded differently at the time. Yeah. If I was going to rate it on entertainment, I probably would give it a five, uh, and maybe that's a little bit critical, but that's just because there's a lot of better films that I would go and watch for entertainment. Um, and I guess accuracy, I thought maybe like a three, Mm. maybe that's really harsh, but that's just more for like the scenery, the equipment, the costumes, the, 
the sets, all that kind of stuff, the, the physical side of things, knowing that the story is completely fabricated. Yes, I suppose it's like judging Master and Command of historical accuracy, isn't it? Do I keep mentioning that film too much? Um, yes, because, you know... But it is your favourite film. It is, indeed. Um, it's almost a shame we've already done it. <laughs> we we can't do it, do it again. We could do it again. A reappraisal? Yes. Master and Commander... Anyway, um, so we we could do the entire. We could get the script and just reenact the script we, from start that to finish. We could do good idea, um, but yes, it's the, it's the same problem, isn't it? And because it's done in an earlier time, I'd think the accuracy is. Well, I don't know. It's it's almost impossible. I would go. I would be maybe slight, be slightly more generous. The the scenery okay. is all you know a bit like a, a John John Wayne movie, you know, of plastic pine trees. But um, the uh, the people they've involved and that kind of thing are obviously quite accurate. Yeah. So I, you know, so I think okay, three is yes. Yeah, let's, let's go for that. Okay. Um, would you recommend the film? For the specific purpose I said before, if you're interested in the topic of propaganda movies around World War II, then absolutely essential. If you're interested in having a good night out, probably not. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, and that's all. That's it. We're done. That's it. It's all over. Okay, well, thank you very much, Wolf. Very interesting. And everybody... Somebody got in touch with me to say that we ought to let us know what's coming up. We'll let people know what's coming up. So the next movie, which is the only one we've thought of so far that is coming up, will be Land and Freedom, a Ken Loach movie. Do come online. Join us at Facebook. Vote. Give your view on the 49th Parallel. Do hope you'll try and watch it. Um, and we will see you on Facebook and we'll see you next time. Look forward to it. Bye, everyone. Bye. Are you not entertained? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.